Hello and welcome to Something Rhymes with Purple. Um, now normally, Giles, we are sitting in my sitting room or my kitchen. But there's a different acoustic here, isn't there? Very different. Because we are not in my kitchen. No, we're not in Oxford. We're in London, England. I say that because we now have quite a few listeners in Canada, which is quite exciting. So uh, it could be London, Ontario, who knows, not far from either um, Toronto or indeed even Vancouver Island. because this is an international podcast. Uh, we are in London, Islington, and we're doing it live. We've got a real audience here of, uh, what are we going to call our, our, the people who listen to our podcast? We call them the purple people. Is that all right with you? Yeah. Those purple are the purple people. people. Yay! Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. We established that quite a few of you from, who's from London? Yeah. Who's from out of London? You see? Who is from the world? Okay. We've got a live audience here. We have a live audience, and you will know, hopefully, if you've listened to us before, that this is a program all about words, and it's our passion for words, because we are logophiles, aren't we? Logophiles. Logophiles. Is that a Canadian word for people <laughs> who are move like lumberjacks? They move logs about. Are they logophiles? What is the origin of logophile? Log lovers. They know they're logo lovers. They're word lovers, simply. Logophiles. Well, logo is a word, is it? Yes. In Latin, file is enthusiastic. Okay. Um, so that is us. Um, do you remember the first moment you thought, wow, about English? <laughs> yes, I think I do. I've been in love with the English language since I was a really little child. I had wonderful parents. My, I'm constantly asked to write a book about my childhood. I can't because I couldn't publish a misery memoir because I had a lovely childhood. I I paraphrase a a poem by Philip Larkin to describe my childhood. My poem goes like this. They tuck you up, your mum and dad. (laughs) Because my parents just tucked me up in bed. They read me stories. They recited poems to me. My father was a lawyer. My mother was a teacher. They introduced me to my love of words from a very small age. I've loved words all my life. Now, how about you? One is sitting in the back of a car, uh, my parents' car, going to some freezing destination on the south coast. And my sister, who is very glamorous, would be playing around with new makeup, eyelash curlers, that kind of thing. I would be sitting there with a vocabulary book at the age of seven. And it was a French and German vocabulary book at this point. And my goal was to learn as many words as I could by the time we reached Worthing or wherever it was. I was a nerd even then, age seven. And even before that, I remember sitting in the bath looking at shampoo bottles and marvelling at what must have been the most boring ingredients in the world and just thinking, I want to be able to understand these. It's interesting that you mention the shampoo bottles because even at my advanced years, I cannot stop anywhere. In the bathroom, perched on the loo, sitting on the edge of the bath, I can't do it without words. So I'm reading the side of the the soap packet, the, the shampoo... The, the, the medicines? Are you trying to find anagrams? Because that's my new, new thing. Oh, really? Yes. Well, you know, I've been doing countdown for so long, it would be hard not to find hidden words. Oh, let's do a test with these people, okay? We'll do an anagram uh, of an everyday English word is, is Monday, M-O-N-D-A-Y. All of you together now, you'll know this. Rearrange the letters in the word Monday. And what have you got? <laughs> An everyday English word, M-O-N-D-A-Y. Rearrange those letters to come up with another everyday English word. On the count of three. One, two, three. 
Well done, sir. <laughs> Dynamo. That's magic. Congratulations. Pretty good. He called it out. What's your name? Where do you come from, sir? Nigel from Clapham, if I may say so. <laughs> That's a come on if ever I heard one. <laughs> wow. When I was a member of Parliament, there were people who would go down to Clapham to meet a Nigel, I can tell you. Especially a dynamo, Nigel. So, you went to school, and were you good at English I did. at school? I did go to school. Um, I was very much a geek before it became you know, cool to be a geek, before Geek Chic ever arrived. And a nerd. Geek Chic? I've not geek heard of that. Geek Chic? Not Geek no. Chic. I do not embody it. But yeah, so for French and German, my first true loves, German particularly. German is honestly one of the most beautiful languages in the world. It gets a really bad time, but is just beautiful. Then I came to English quite late, and I came to English when I was working at Oxford University Press. I was working on their French and German dictionaries. And then one day... I was having lunch in my office, Aldesco, and I pulled down a, um, a copy of a really old etymological dictionary called Skeet's Etymological Dictionary of the English Language. I started reading about swan song and how the origin of swan song, I may have mentioned on the podcast before, but it's quite beautiful. I need to find another adjective for beautiful. I think I've said it five times tonight. No, if it's a good word, keep um, using it. Uh, for centuries, people believed that swans are born mute and they remain mute all their lives until the moment of their death where they burst into mournful but beautiful elegiac song. And that is this, the idea of a swan song, your final great performance. And I was so captured by that that I started to read more and more and more. And that was it. Is that, that was it for me. Is it a myth or is it true that swans... No, they have a whole range of vocal sounds. Ah. And so there are so many myths about animals. Do you remember licking into shape? L lick something into shape, you think, oh, this is military boot camp type thing. But licking into shape was an ancient legend that persisted through Shakespeare's time and things that bear cubs are born as blobs, as formless blobs, and they have to be licked into bear shape by their mums. Isn't that beautiful? Mm. That's where licking something into shape comes from. So all these stories all wrapped up in this book. And any really good dictionary of word origins nowadays will, will tell you these stories. And you'll get lost in it forever. And it was from your time at the Oxford University Press you began working on the Oxford English Dictionary? Uh, no. Well, ah. that kind of came a little bit later. But with my second week at OUP, I was asked by my boss whether I wanted to go and work on this programme called Countdown, which I had seen before. I said no very firmly. I was quite happy doing what I was doing. And he came back three times. I said no three times. And then he came back and said, I think this would be really good for your job. Uh, so I had no choice. And then I famously went and hid behind Rula Lenska's hair, my first show. Evidence is still on YouTube, unfortunately. I looked, well, I was terrified. And I met you not long after which was also terrifying. <laughs> In your jumpers. Jazz's jumpers. Remember Jazz's jumpers? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you love your jumpers. People can't see this. I'm looking touched. <laughs> so that's when we first became friends. And I was on Countdown. In fact, over the years, I've been on Countdown, I think probably more than anybody else in Dictionary Corner, many hundreds of times. I was on Countdown because I... Um, had, was a friend of the actor and entertainer Kenneth Williams. 
And I'd met Kenneth Williams doing the radio program Just a Minute uh, on Radio 4. We'd become good friends. And he said, oh, you'd be ideal for Countdown. But I was already a word enthusiast. I was the founder of the National Scrabble Championships. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I am the president of the British Association of Scrabble Players. Oh, yeah. Afterwards, I will be walking among you so you may touch my garb. <laughs> and I just have loved words all my life. And I became a friend of Dr. Robert Birchfield, who, oh, when yes. I was young... He was amazing. He was amazing. And he was the editor of the Oxford yeah, do, Dictionary. Yeah. 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 So that's how I got into words and language. And that's how we really come to be here, because we thought about a year ago, we love getting together, we're friends, we like talking about words, let's do it. And so here we are, a million and more downloads later, with the, the cream of the purple people, uh, talking about words and language. Where did you get into etymology? For me, etymology, the word origins, is the most thrilling part of English. There is a whole etymology team on the OED and their amazing job is to go digging for new evidence and new new stories of every single word because even the most boring seeming everyday word has had some incredible journey and I know journey is a word that really gets on people's nerves including mine but they really have been on these incredible um, sort of meandering uh, routes through life. What's your favourite of journey? Oh gosh there are so many of those. Um, Well I was just thinking yesterday about the word naughty and people don't really use naughty these days especially for kids. Some of the clubs I go to they do. Yes, I, I knew Nigel that. I knew that was Clapham coming. Knows a lot about naughty. <laughs> I knew that was coming, um, so to speak. Um, <laughs> um, yes, so naughty was was to be worth naught. So it was N-O-U-G-H-T. So it was applied to the poor and the needy who literally had nothing. So it's very sad. But because people tend to look down on the poor, it then became associated with kind of vice and moral wickedness, which is pretty horrible. On a happier note, buxom used to be a word used of men. (laughs) This is your nightmare, it really is. Uh, so Not it was only men who were buxom. Be naughty, but she's buxom. Go on. Um, so yes, but we are Germanic language, and buxom uh, is from the German biegsam, meaning <laughs> you'll love this, bendable, bendy, <laughs> or pliable, or versatile. You know, somebody who is obedient and goes with the flow. And so men would be buxom members of a particular corporation. And then because obedience, for some strange reason, became associated with healthy milkmaids, healthy in a booby sense, um, busty sense, it kind of transferred to that. I mean, it's the weirdest journey, that one. So those are a couple of your journeys. I tell you, journey may irritate you. The words irritating me at the moment is nuanced. Everything is now nuanced. nuanced? I find that irritating. It's just the overuse of a word. That's all that that I find irritating. Uh, You know, a survey was done recently of the most liked words in the English language. Mm. Do you have a favourite word before I tell you what came top of the survey? Uh, mine genuinely change every day, but it would be either thunderplump, thunderplump, scurry funge, scurry funge, scurry funge. You know about scurry funging or halcyon. Halcyon, as in halcyon days. Yes. I, those your do you love those words because of their sound or because of their meaning? Meaning both. And 
when it comes to Halcyon, the story behind it, because it's the story of the kingfisher. So the Halcyon was the kingfisher, and it was said to lay its eggs on the sea, and the god of the winds would calm the seas so that the chicks could hatch in serenity and peace, which is why Halcyon days are the kingfisher days. Oh, I know, it's another yeah. sweet one. Yeah, feel free to do the ah. <laughs> feel free, because that's we hope what people are doing is they, they listen to this but whenever they scurry listen. Scurry funging, you know what scurry funge is. I don't now, think you're a scurry funger. Is I can't remember. That's one of the I've used this one so often. No, no, but because you know, she you feed so many lovely words at us. Unless you keep a notebook and things, it's not always to, remind me what does scurry funge mean. Okay, well apologize apologies to anyone who reads my Twitter because I use this at least once a week. To scurry funge is to madly, frenetically dash around the house, shoving things into cupboards, kicking things oh, under yeah. beds and sofas just before visitors arrive. Yeah. Um, that is American, uh, American dialect from uh, 19th century. It's brilliant. Very good. The reason there's a pause now <laughs> is that I have a New Year resolution, but I've got a two New Year resolutions. One is to be more buxom, by which I mean more pliable. Yeah. I'm going with the flow this year. You know, just letting things happen as they happen. But two, my New Year resolution is never to interrupt Susie. <laughs> my, my basic rule in life is listen to your wife. And my wife said to me as I was coming off tonight, she said, why don't you make a New Year resolution, Charles? Why don't you try listening to Susie for a change? <laughs> You know, you don't listen to me at home, but we've lived together for 50 years. I'm quite used to it. I should I'm not listening to you either. Uh, but with Susie this year, why don't you try not interrupting her? Listen to what she's got to say, think about it, and then ask her to say something more. Because we've heard your stories, Giles. Uh, this is my wife speaking. So... Uh, you will find, if you are regular with the podcast, it'll be a bit different this year because there will be these pauses. I don't want Lawrence, our producer, cutting them out because it'll look as if I was interrupting when I wasn't. There will be a Giles. pause. And when I think that Giles. Susie has finished... Oh, for Giles. fuck's sake, shut up. Uh, <laughs> when I think she has finished, I will pause. Uh, and then when she nods, I will speak again. Did you want me to say something? I did. Uh, were you about to come to the top... Word of the survey, or have we had that? Oh, we're coming back to that. Okay, good. Oh, I haven't forgotten that. You were telling me about scurry funge, and you finished on that, and halcyon, that's good. The survey, (laughs) the second most popular word in the survey was discombobulate. Ah, now we have a member of the audience who hates that. Oh. Yeah, and I'm coming to that later. Oh, oh really? There's somebody who doesn't like it. I think people like discombobulate. What does it mean? It means to be confused. It means to be discomforted or slightly perplexed, or just... You know, in, um, in some... You might know this, but in some fantastic airport lounge in North America, I can't remember which one it is, they have a recombobulation lounge, which is where you go to gather. That's I think nice. it's brilliant. So I think people like that because it is onomatopoeic. Yeah. And they like the sound of it. Yeah. I think with the word that came top of the list, they both like the sound of it and they like what it means. The top word most liked in this survey of people liking words in the English language was lullaby. Mm. (laughs) We love this audience. You've got some great purple people. Um, Is it time for a break yet, Lawrence? It is. It's time for a break. Let's take a break. (laughs) A little round of applause. Thank you so much for being here. (laughs) 
a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, Jaws, are you a theist? A theist? Mm, a habitual tea drinker. Oh, I am. I ah. drink nothing but tea. Tea and water. You know I don't drink alcohol. I gave up coffee because of the acid reflux. So I now want tea. And I have to have it made in a particular way, as you know. It, the tea bag in, boiling water on top, a touch of milk, and the bag stays in the mug. Yes, I have noticed. Bag always in, and you only drink half a cup. I do. Unless that's my tea. I usually drink the top half. Okay, you're so fussy. Well, I can add another caveat to your order now. Milk, no sugar, tea bag in, half only drunk. But it can also now be served in your very own Something Rhymes with Purple mug. Yay, they have arrived! They have. They're beautiful, genuinely beautiful. Um, perfect, we hope, for those of you who like to listen to the podcast Curled Up with a Brew. And a really good gift, again, we hope, for any word nerds in your life. Indeed, of anyone in your life. Actually, they are, they are beautiful. They're handsome. Lovely, deep, deep purple in colour. And they've got our logo on the front in a very classy font, I must say. And hold on. Oh, on the inside, the word gongoozle. Well, that's amusing. As you lift it to your lips, the word gongoozle appears. <laughs> Remind me, what does that mean? Uh, well, the answer lies at the bottom of the mug, Giles. You have to drink your tea, remove your tea bag, etc. Drink to the very bottom and you'll find out. I love it. You drink down and the word's definition is revealed. Oh, oh, it's hot. Oh, my God. Oh, dear, as well. dear, dear, dear. I want to get one to give to my long-suffering wife. She wonders why I've moved in with you. I say it's a podcast. She says, that's a funny euphemism. <laughs> um, uh, how do I get her one of these? Okay, the mugs are available now from purple.backstreetmerch, or one word, dot com. Purple.backstreetmerch.com. Okay. And uh, not to be crude, how much are we talking? Fifteen pounds. Ideal. Purple.backstreetmerch.com, £15. Right, now, what does gongoozle mean? Welcome back to our amazing collection of purple people here um, in Islington in London. So our very first live podcast. And Jaz, we were talking about the word discombobulate, which frequently comes near the top of the nation's favourite words when, when people are polled. Um, but there's one member of our audience, Chris, Chris Lacey from Exeter, who doesn't think it's all that. Chris, are you here? I certainly am. Um, is this not, not your favourite? Uh, I just wonder if you know a more amusing, amusing. synonym for discombobulated. Discombobulated. As entertaining a word as it is. 
Well, there are two B words that I really like. Well, three, actually. One is betwattled, um, <laughs> which I think is great. So if you're a bit kind of surprised and perplexed and don't really know where you are, what you're doing, you are betwattled. Um, that's centuries old. To go with that is betwitted. So to betwitted is to be fluttering with excitement and just sort of overcome with emotion. And another one, which is to be completely totally bowled over with surprise rather than pleasure you are blutterbunged that's an odd dialect word so betwitted betwattled and blutterbunged i would offer you as my three alternatives to discombobulated last one blutter Mm -hmm. that's butter with an l in it and bung blutterbunged blutterbunged i love it yeah i remember when trump was elected that was my only word of the day (laughs) i am completely blutterbunged i like words that are unique, that are remarkable. In written English, the most frequently used words are the, of, and, to, a, in, that, is, I, and it. Mm -hmm. The longest words in the language. I thought for many years that the longest word in the language was the 29-letter word, flocky-nauhiki-nihilification. Flocky-nauhiki-nihilification. Is that the way you say it? Um, I might be wrong. (laughs) It's the the longest non-technical word in the OED, isn't it? Uh, yeah. What does it mean? It means the estimation of something is completely worthless, including that word, I would say. <laughs> and it dates from 1741. It's a Latin grammar, isn't it, I think? You will it. know the longest word created in the 20th century that went worldwide. In fact, we can all do it as a team. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Isn't that amazing to create a word that everybody in this room knows? Yeah, Running to 34 letters, created for the movie Mary Poppins. Uh, the 45-letter word, the longest word in the OED, that's a technical word, you may know how to pronounce it. It is no ultra microscopic silico volcanoconeosis. <laughs> Is that about right? That's about right, yeah. And it runs to 45 letters. It's a lung disease. But it's totally made up, that word. Oh, is it? Yeah. It was made up to be the longest word. I like curiosities like that. I, I collect the longest words with different letters in them. Do you know what they are? Mm-hmm. Uncopyrightable. Oh, I see, yeah. That's quite a good one, isn't it? Yeah. And dermatoglyphics. There's the longest English word consisting only of vowels, which is, do you know this one? Ooh. Oh, oh, you do know it. No, go for it. Sorry, I interrupted. No, do. No, go. I love your rendition. I want you Ooh. to... I'm not going to interrupt you. You interrupt me. No, no, I may not have the, wrong, the right one. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> no. You or a... <laughs> it's a medieval mnemonic. Used oh, wait, no, it wasn't where I was going. You used to recall... <laughs> oh, yeah, you thought it was a noise of ecstasy, didn't you? <laughs> yes, Exactly. The noise made by the tupping ram. Oh, no. Uh, you oi. It's a medieval mnemonic used to recall the musical tones required when chanting the Gloria Patri. It also takes the title as the English word with the most consecutive vowels. Can you think of words for, with five consecutive vowels? Can, can anybody give me one? Queuing. Brilliant. Brilliant. Is onomatopoeia, has that got five consecutive vowels? Four. Cooing. Cooing. Very good. But when are you going to say that? He was cooing on the corner. Do you know what um, 
word, well, you will know this, in the OED has the most definitions. Set. Oh, you did know. Well, you... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm so boring. You've worked there for many years, so you would know, wouldn't you? How do you keep all this stuff in your head? Um, Well, I don't keep very much else in, and... um, it's just the same with Countdown. People say, how do you come up with these words? But honestly, the same ones, my brain produces the same ones over and over. Um, you just kind of see the same patterns. Plus, I have been doing it for a very, very long time. Um, very, very long time. By the way, Rachel Riley took for her baby one of my favourite words ever, which is a maven. Beautiful name. Um, but also, maven is like a connoisseur. So a word maven is a connoisseur or expert of words, which I think is beautiful. It's a bit like being a doctor. So all, you know, people that you meet will say, um, where does this word come from? Uh, it's a bit like, can you have a look at this rash on my leg? Um, so sometimes it's just nice to clock off. Although I have to say, as a wordy person, it's very difficult to clock off. And eavesdropping is part and parcel of being electrography. I've always done this. I've always lent into conversations. And do you know the best place to listen in to conversations and to pick up new words. Starbucks. Starbucks and the loo. Oh. So quite often... You're um, in one cubicle with your ear cocked. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Is that what happens? Well, pretty much. So so I heard two teenage girls a few years ago talk about the massive coleslaws on their lips, which I thought was very sad. Um, and in the coffee queue, this is where you pick up egg corns. So song lyrics, famously, we've all misheard song lyrics. Um, mine was Lord of the Dance, Settee. It was positive. <laughs> That's what I used to sing at school. I was just, just took it for granted. He was Lord of the Dance, Settee. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's just things that we just get wrong, like going at it hammer and thongs or... Um, <laughs> Uh, this is the best one in a Starbucks coffee queue as it happened just two men in front of me getting really exercised about somebody I think it was their boss and uh, you could see the steam coming out of their ears until one of them stamped his foot and said but it's his attitude that's the whole crotch of the matter (laughs) Um, so we now talk about the crotch of the matter in my house Um, so you have to be a good eavesdropper and you pick up all sorts of gems eavesdropping yes eaves of a house that drop I mean what's the origin of eavesdropping it used to be the eaves drip so it Ah. would be standing below the um, yeah the the sort of the place where the the guttering I guess where the the water would collect and then drop in the right place and um, from there quite often you could overhear your neighbours um, talking, so that was the eaves drip. Stand below the eaves drip, and then eventually it changed to eaves drop because that made as much sense. Well, normally what happens at this part of the program is that, or the podcast, is that we read out letters that people have sent us, emails that they've sent us, which anybody can do by emailing us at purple at something else dot com. But today, because we've got hundreds of quality people who've braved pretty grim weather to come to this paradise that is the Islington Assembly Hall. We've asked them for questions and they've written them down on bits of paper and you're picking some. Susie, what have you picked? Yes. Well, this is from Paul in Dorset. Paul Burden. Thank you for this, Paul. He says, what is your favourite translingual idiom? 
The French equivalent of have other fish to fry is to have other cats to whip. It's true. Autre chat fouetter, isn't it? Um, I think my favorite is, again, another French one where we say the writing's on the wall and they say there are spiders on the ceiling. Il y a des araignées sur le plafond. Uh, that's my favorite one. Have you got one? Oh, I haven't got one at all. I think it's okay. brilliant. There's some great ones. <laughs> Uh, Richard Katmer from Buckhurst Hill in Essex asks, is there a link between the rather negative words contempt and contemptuous and the rather more positive contemplation? No, is the answer. Um, Explain that. I mean, the the origin, the source is the same, is it? No. Um, They just sound very similar. Um, And they come from slightly similar roots, linguistically anyway. So contempt and contemptuous come from the Latin contemnare. And we still get to contem, don't we, with E-M-N. And that simply meant the same thing. It was to condemn someone or to look on them askance or with contempt, which is exactly what we're talking about today. Whereas contemplation has got a temple at its heart because contemplare was to consult the birds, the auspices, and then basically settle on the right time to do something. So if if the time was auspicious, you would have contemplated um, on this sort of bit of ground where you could take the auspices and, um, and then you might decide on inaugurating something. And inaugurating also goes back to the auspices or the augurs who would track the movements of the birds and then decide when something was auspicious at the right this, time. This is from ancient times when this, people would yeah. consult the sphinx and yeah. would go to the oracle to discover well, things. And these they'd look at the birds, ex- they'd look at entrails of animals. They'd Explain look about things. the birds, I didn't know about this. Okay, well, birds were hugely important. Um, so it was the movement of the birds across the skies, and it was also particular birds. So owls were seen as particularly gloomy. I mean, I guess as you might still see them today as harbingers of doom, likewise with ravens and that kind of thing. Well, but the, it was primarily to do the movements across this, the sky. The albatross and, being bad luck for sailors. Well, yes, thanks to the ancient mariner. But also stars, so stars inform a lot of our words today. Um, to consider, goes back to the Greek, sidera, the, the stars. So to consider was, again, to consult the stars in order to decide when to do something. And a disaster has got aster, the Latin star that's behind asterisk um, as well. And a disaster was when the stars were so badly aligned that they would bring terrible events. The stars are everywhere, and so are birds. Stop for a moment. Can I just say, you had not had any foreknowledge of it. You have spoken about it with such eloquence and such knowledge. I think you are remarkable, Susie Dent. Just buttering her up. I don't know the origin of the expression, buttering her up. I hate to think, but I imagine Nigel from Clapham does. Is that another question? Poor Nigel. I don't think you submitted a question yet, Nigel. We'd like one from you. Um, I've got the answer to your question, Nigel. (laughs) 0772-416-417. Carry on. (laughs) Um, Robin uh, Schaefer from North London. Schaefer? Schaefer? Thank you. From North London. Um, What's the origin of the phrase square meal? There's a bit of a folk etymology attached to this one, which says that... Plates on board a ship in the olden days would be square-shaped so that in turbulent waters, the food wouldn't spill. It's actually codswallop, that, we think. Um, 
You'll explain Codswallop later, won't you? I will. I will. Codswallop goes back to the bottles made by Hiram Cod. Hiram Cod. Double D. Who is it? Hiram. Thank you. Who uh, made fizzy drinks? And he made those. You know those glass, those stoppers that you get on glass bottles, old-fashioned glass bottles, to keep the fizz in. He manufactured those, and he manufactured fizzy drinks. And Wallop was a slang term for weak beer. And the beer manufacturers looked down on Hiram and just called his drinks Cod's Wallop. In other words, it was small beer. That's where we get it from, we think. But anyway, square meal, we think it just goes back to square, meaning just something that is kind of right and fitting. Um, so it's, it was always figurative rather than the square plates on board a ship. Very good. Some more? One more. We've got one, one more. more before your trio. Nigel might like this one. Peter Scarf, again from London. Where do we get the phrase house tricks? Well... There's a theory, a theory that it goes back to... Sorry about this, Nigel. I don't actually mean what I said at the beginning. It goes back to prostitutes. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> turn, I don't know why I said that. Turning, uh, turning tricks. So, uh, what yes. was the phrase again? Um, house, house, tricks. Tr- house tricks. House tricks. Poss- that's a possible origin, Nigel. Not necessarily the right one. Um, so there we go. Now, yes. Susie, yes, every week, on, on, people who are new to the podcast, every week Susie gives us a trio of words that she hopes we'll find intriguing. I always do find them intriguing. I don't always remember them, and I should really write them down. Tell me what have you got for us this week. Have you ever heard of a nudnik? A nudnik? Or a nudnik. This means, Giles, a pestering person. Or a boring person, which you are obviously not. Um, So the nick is the kind of suffix from beatnik and that kind of thing. And um, nud or nud is a bore. A bore. A nudnik. Stop being such a nudnik. A nudnik. Don't be such a nudnik. Yeah. Good. That's the first one. Um, I just like this one because I think it sounds beautiful. And we were talking about euphonious, mellifluous, melodious words. Propinquity. Propinquity. Does that mean close to? Yes. It's to mean closeness in time or in place, or it can just mean closeness of a relationship. Oh. I think it's just quite beautiful. Propinquity. And this is one for Londoners, really, because obviously it's hectic, this place, isn't it? It's beautiful but hectic. Obambulate. To oh. obambulate is to wander aimlessly. Obambulate. Oh, I love that. Moodle and mooch and dawdle and tootle and poodle and all that stuff. To obambulate. Well, you've obambulated around the language quite deliciously. My plan this year is each week to come up with a quotation, a line that has inspired me. And because this is the beginning of the new year and I'm determined to have a good year, not interrupting you, not (laughs) name-dropping, but working hard, I've turned to the Book of Proverbs. And this is my quotation of the week. A little sleep, a little slumber... A little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a vagabond, and what like an armed man. So thank you very much indeed for being here. <laughs> but now bugger off and get back to work. That's the message. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, we forgot the credits. Something rhymes with purple.
Something Rhymes With Purple is a Something Else production produced by Lawrence Bassett with additional production from Grace Laker, Chris Skinner, Steve Ackerman and Gully. Uh, So thank you to them and thank you to our wonderful audience here at the Islington Assembly Hall. Thank you so much. Lovely. Well done, you. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.